Welcome back to our Tabletop RPG Freelance Mentorship Series. Um, my name is Crystal Mazur, and I am the host for our um, for this series. And um, today we are doing our freelancer contracts and what that all entails. The goal of this podcast series is to help people who are interested in freelancing, who might be curious about how freelancing works, who are struggling with certain parts of freelancing, or who just want to connect with new writers um, in order to gather more information from individuals who have been in the industry for anywhere from a year to like forever and a day. <laughs> they are the elders that have written our uh, history. Um, if you are curious, um, please go back and listen to our first two episodes, which would be getting started in freelancing and then freelancer writer uh, pay and negotiations. Second, I just want to say that we are not lawyers in this conversation. We are we cannot offer legal advice. What we're the perspective that we are coming from when we are talking through this podcast is going to be through our own personal experiences and things that we have come across, either things that have um, come back to haunt us or things that have worked in our favor before and where you can like how you can ask for those things within a contract. So I have three wonderful guests with me today. Our first guest is Anthony. Hi. Uh, Anthony Pryor. Sorry, I apologize. Hi there. <laughs> uh, we have Kennedy. Hello. And Tyler. Hello. All right. So now we're going to head on into our news real quick. Okay. Um, Kennedy, do you want to do the, the first thing since that was your your baby? Yeah, uh, Heckin' Good Doggos just came out on PDF. This is a game that uh, we did with Wet Ink Games. Wonderful studio, so supportive of indie hits. Just everybody there. Brandon, Matthew, Sarah, um, everybody else involved with it and involved with the project. Doing a great job. For those that are wondering uh, what it is, we took a game system that was used for World War I Carnage, and we changed it up so that it can be used to tell stories about adventuring as one of your bestest friends in the world, your dog. It's a tremendous book. It's playing dogs in the real world. It's playing dogs in a fantasy setting. It, it's going on mysteries and trying to uncover, like, you know, the, the hidden bizarre occult perils that only dogs can see. And uh, no, it's just wonderful. I couldn't be happier with the book. Everybody did such a great work. Awesome. And uh, I am one of the stretch goals, actually. You, you are. Uh, I am. Uh, where our, our bestest friends are going to be trying to discover the hydrant. Ooh, hydrant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was also a stretch goal. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, yay! Um, I did... Uh, Doggos at the Circus, and I owe edits on the different mechanics for making a circus act. The stretch goals will be coming later. They are not part of this PDF. Yeah. So just to, just to clarify that. But all the stretch goals, people pitched so many wonderful ones, and the circus one sounded really, 
Brandon was laughing when he was reading it to me. And he was like, how did we not think of circuses with dogs? Um, and just it's, everybody's stretch goals are amazing. You can tell I'm really excited. I think I've used amazing like four or five times. I know other words as a writer, but honestly, this project's just been a lot of fun. No, it, it has been a lot of fun. And uh, seeing the the Kickstarter go off the way that it did was just pure joy. I love it so much. And then our second bit of news, Anthony, would you like to? Sure. I'm I, I, I'm so jealous of you guys now hearing about that project. That sounds so cool. So uh, I'm going to be project manager for uh, a, a 5e product called The Heart of St. Bathus, which is going to be a Kickstarter project from Frog God Games. That's going to be starting sometime in the next month or two. We haven't quite got the uh, uh, dates worked out. We haven't got the page yet. We're just in the editing process now, but that's very close to being started. We've got art, we've got maps, we've got a great cover, and it should be really cool. I don't have a date for you or a link, but uh, anybody wants to check out my Facebook, uh, I'll be announcing it, and Frog God will be making announcements all over the place for it when it does come out. So it's a really excellent-looking adventure, and uh, I look forward to seeing how it comes out. So, yeah. Darker Days will be sharing links for everyone's projects and everything like that as they come out as well. So Thanks. you can look to Darker Days for links for that when it does come out. Great. All right, we are going to move on to our main topic, which is going to be podcasts. Welcome, everybody. I'm going to have everybody kind of introduce themselves um, a little bit further. And I want you to talk about, like, how you got into freelancing. Maybe talk about some of the things that you enjoy about it. And you became interested in talking about contracts with me. Because uh, not many people like to talk about that stuff. Um, so let's start with, uh, let's start with Tyler. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, with that actually leads into why I have to have my separate little disclosure. Um, I actually went to law school and I studied law in four countries now, but I'm not a lawyer and I'm not your lawyer, especially. And I keep being told by lawyers that I need to keep making sure people know I'm not a lawyer despite having a law degree. So I like to joke that I talk about law without a license because I do talk about policy stuff and all that jazz, and aside from doing game design. And actually, that ties directly how I got into game design. Of I was working in a law firm as it imploded. And pay didn't show up for three months, and I had to pay big city rent. And then a friend of a friend needed 15,000 words on werewolves by Monday. And that sounded a lot more interesting than criminal defense law. And I've been doing RPG and that kind of writing for 11, 12 years now. Oh, wow. Yeah, I fell backwards into it and then very much never went back to law. I don't have, I never passed the bar. And I keep being told I have to make sure people know that. I know, and that's very good, a very good and clear distinction to make with this conversation. So thank you for, for doing that. So, all right. Um, let's move on to Anthony. Hi. Uh, nice to be here. Uh, I would just echo that uh, I also am not a lawyer, and I do not even play one on TV. Uh, but I have been described by other people as being older than dirt in this industry. I got started uh, way back in about 1985 when I saw an ad in a magazine that said a company called FASA 
was looking for freelance writers to work on a game called Battletech. I sent them my stuff, they liked it, and that started everything off. Uh, since then, I've probably worn every hat on the creative side uh, that you can think of. I've been a project manager, I have been a writer, editor, developer, and I've worked for uh, folks from White Wolf to Watsi. Uh, so naturally, I've dealt with contracts a lot, and I've done everything from working with no contract at all, don't do that, to very detailed uh, legalistic contracts that uh, I didn't fully know all the legal boilerplate and language of. Uh, so uh, I've, I've run the gamut uh, in this industry. So I've been doing this for a long time. And I have seen, like I said, a lot of contracts. And I've got a lot of thoughts on what constitutes a good one. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing a lot of that knowledge and experience, too, with everybody. Oh, it, so. it, is, it is my pleasure, believe me. <laughs> All right, and then Kennedy. Hello. Uh, I've been, I'm, I'm Kennedy. Uh, I've worked in this industry for over 19 years now. Uh, uh, and I've worked for just so many companies, not as many as Richard, but, um, um, or sorry, Anthony. I saw Pryor, and I'm pretty sure I thought Richard Pryor. Um, I get that all the time. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, but no, I've I've also uh, um, I started working on a bunch of small games, um, indie games, and um, I've worked for companies such as Onyx Path. Um, I've also worked for FASA. Um, I've worked for I work for Modifius Entertainment and Renegade Game Studios. Um, and I've even got a horror story of when I didn't read a contract too thoroughly, and that's why I always tell everybody that. Even amongst friends, especially amongst friends, contracts are great. So uh, I'm here to to champion their cause and to tell people that, like, you know, if anything, they just make everybody feel better at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a really important thing, too, is because, like, I I work with people I consider friends and I um, have I got my start from freelancing from a friend who also had a contract involved um, with the the writing piece that I had done. Um, and they're, they've been a friend of mine for like 20 plus years, but we still had a contract because it keeps everybody safe. Um, and so um, that's a really awesome segue into um, our um, next topic which is going to be the importance of contracts and why it is important to have a contract when you are doing any sort of work for anybody, whether you are a friend for them or not. Um, so who would like to start that? Um, so, yes, yeah, so the importance of contracts. Um, I think everybody here knows pretty much what the basis of a contract is. But for game design, for anything in the gaming industry, contracts, usually they, they have a specific goal, which is, hey, I'd like to hire you for some work. I'd like to commission some work from you. Um, and from the very get-go, the contract should be able to tell you who it is you're working for, um, which is, I'll get to that in a second, what the project is, which I know in the email, you've probably already discussed with the person what the project is, but it's still important to have it just spelled out somewhere. And then what's expected of you. Um, and the reason all of that is important is because um, for you, the person who is signing it, it it's more than just like a guide on what the project is. I mean, um, if I'm working on um, Werewolf, which I'm not, but if I, I can dream, um, 
if I'm working on Werewolf and um, uh, the, the commission work for me, um, the contract will say, you know, an, in legalese, but um, it'll say, hey, Kennedy, we would like to hire you to, to work on Werewolf. We need 10,000 words. Um, you'll be working under this person for this company. This is when we'd like you to turn in the work. And then here's a bunch of clauses that let you know the do's and do not do's of, of working on this project. And the reason that's important is because um, we I talked earlier about how contracts, even between friends, are important. And you know how sometimes, you know, you can misunderstand what your friend says? The same can happen, shocker, <laughs> with people that you work with. And it's not always like an intentional thing. Um, I don't want people to get like it in their heads that um, if you don't have a contract, you are waiting to get screwed over. And I don't want people to to get in their heads to be like, oh, does my friend really trust me if they're making me sign this like really in-depth contract? They're really just meant to to serve as a way so you know what's expected so that the person you're working for knows what's expected. And also sometimes it can really, really help to just have something printed off. Like um, uh, I once worked on um, a project where um, the developer who was going through a lot, you know, the, they just had a kid. They messaged me and asked when the, the project was due. And they thought that um, that I was running a little late and they were being very respectful about it. But when I looked at the contract, it was like, oh, no, it's actually due in three weeks. This is the date that's listed on there. And they apologized. Um, it was just one of those like easy to fix things where it's sort of like, oh, no, we said this date, not this date. And that's like the most that is like the easiest way that contracts can help you. The other thing is that it also lets you know what to do if like if you feel you've like something's not right. I know probably a lot of people might have it in their minds that we might be like um, all about, you know, skullduggery here in the game design field. But um, we very rarely have to break out knives. Uh, it's really just more of a, hey, misunderstandings have happened. How do I, go what do I do next? There's also, you know, jumping on your, your point about, you know, assuming that someone's a friend and everyone's friendly here. Terrible things can happen. Your friend could be kicked out of the company that they're working for or you know perish the thought they could be unable to work anymore and contracts can get sold on depending on what the rights in your contract are and suddenly you can be dealing with someone you don't know and might not like and i've had that happen and it's worth noting that if your contract allows it to be sold on or assigned mm. you now have someone else enforcing all the rules you agreed to it's not it doesn't happen as much in the gaming industry, from my understanding, mostly because we don't have as many big companies. But a bunch of people in comics and in movies right now, that's what they're dealing with with the Disney purchase, is they made deals with a bunch of other people, and now Disney has the other side of those contracts, and now a bunch of people aren't getting paid. I would jump on that and say both of you uh, are entirely correct. I think that's one of the most important aspects of it. Because it tells you in no uncertain terms what's expected of you and what's expected of the other party. And while this is, you know, it's legally enforceable, there are some issues with legal action regarding enforcement, which we can talk about later. But the fact is having everything written down in detail, specifics, uh, really helps you and it helps the publisher. They're both good for you. And uh, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't avoid that. If someone, uh, even if you're working with someone close, it's probably really a good idea to come up with a uh, a contract of some variety. So um, I would say that throughout all the time that I've been doing this, uh, and like I said, we can go into some particulars later. 
the best thing about it is you look it up and go, yes, I need to do 10,000 words, I need to do it by this date, and they need to pay me by this date. And those are all, you know, common sense things, but they're very important. And, and it's worth noting that it, like, it protects both parties. I had, I had a contract a bit back that I needed some help from, like, I had to sound it with other creatives with, because the person who had assigned it was at the same time both like being a very stickler on what work I was and wasn't going to get paid for based on the contract, but then was also expecting stuff that wasn't in the contract. So it's worth remembering that it's going to protect you as much as the other party if you've done your due diligence, you've paid attention to it. I think that's kind of the big thing. We're like, I think in this era where we're all used to like clicking accept on like user agreements, um, and I admit I've done it. Um, I think that it's you really need to read the contracts, even if the contract is very formulaic. You know, just see what's changed, see how things are worded. I don't think like there's some things that just aren't going to pop up in a standard you know freelance contract. But it's important to know what's in there regardless, because uh, you know you, you want if you if you're gonna be like no, my contract says this, you're gonna want to be able to guarantee that your contract does say that. For sure. I, I also, and I think this is going to be uh, referencing back to the previous episode of negotiation a bit. I also find whether or not a company is willing to do a contract and whether or not they're willing to talk to you about it is a good, it's a good um, litmus test, especially for smaller operations and, and newer companies. Because if they're not willing to make a contract or if you're like, hey, I have some questions about the contract and they're not willing to talk to you, that's a bad sign. Yes. If they're not willing to discuss it in plain language and say, what does this clause mean, then that is probably something you should be concerned about. It isn't necessarily uh, fatal, but if they're just, if, if they cannot communicate that to you, then that is something to be concerned about, certainly. Or absolute worst case scenario, they get back to you with, how dare you question my contract? Ooh. And you're like, oh, that's a bad sign. Ooh. Oh, I got some stories about that, too. Also, um, here's, you know, here's one of my anecdotes. I had a, a gentleman who was uh, actually pretty well established at one point. Uh, was uh, I sent him a standard contract, and he said, no, I want double the per word count or the per word payment. And I went to the, I went to the higher-ups. They said, nope. And I said, nope, can't do it. So at least that gave us the opportunity to uh, determine whether we could work together at all. So, uh, again, that was the contract uh, provisions weren't, weren't acceptable to him, and he did not sign it, which is totally his right to do. And it improved our communication situation. I'm sorry that we lost him, but there wasn't really much that I could do about it. I, I feel like contracts and the contract negotiation, we did touch upon it in the other one, but negotiations in and of itself, I feel like need to be talked about more. So... And again, there are plenty of opportunities to talk about negotiating um, within uh, throughout this episode. So, like, there are so many parts of um, a contract, and there are a lot of things that can be worded in bad faith, meaning that they're worded in either such an ambiguous way that it is up to interpretation, or it's worded in a way where um you at certain parts of it may may end up making it where you are it is impossible for you to be able to 
get clarification or any sort of, um, hey, you know, I can't work right now type of thing. What are some of the different parts of a contract that you we should be paying attention to? And then like how specific or how vague of a wording is needed for those specific areas then? As we've discussed, the the most important things to the freelancer, I think the first things you look at are how many words you're expected to write, what your pay rate is going to be, what's your turnover date, and when you're going to get paid. And those are pretty specific. It's kind of hard to weasel out of those things. And we were going to, uh, it looks like we were going to talk about red flags later on, but if you wanted to, if you want to talk about a couple of the potential red flags now, we could do that. We can absolutely mix the red flags into each of these points. That's totally fine. The problems that I've run into, and I'm sure you guys have a couple of your own examples of that, the ones that concern me most is when the payment is made, uh, they say things like payment on acceptance, for example. When they say, we're going to accept, when we accept your work, when we feel it's okay, then we'll pay you. Don't like that. You know, if they have a clause in there that if the work is not acceptable, they don't have to pay you, that's a different situation. If they say it's payment after we've finished editing it and looking at it, and also I have heard recently about people saying they offered to pay me as many words as they used rather than the words that I wrote. And I have heard of that happening. And that's also something else you don't want to get into. If you write too much, they're only obligated to pay you for what you wrote, and they may penalize you for overwriting. That's reasonable. And also, the other one I ran into uh, was one uh, individual that offered to pay out of the profits. I and say, I see that a lot. That makes me nervous. If you've heard of Hollywood accounting about how these, you know, massive blockbuster movies never actually make any money, quote unquote, I feel like that is weaselly enough or maybe not weaselly is the right word, but that's vague enough that that can be abused, it seems to me. Uh, and certainly when this was offered to me and the group of people that were writing, we did not like that and we got yelled at for questioning that clause. And uh, that made me feel like this guy or the individual that was doing this, um, there was something a little hinky about that. So that was of concern to me. Uh, the final thing that I run into is, um, and this is not necessarily bad, but it's something to keep an eye on, uh, payment on publication or payment within 30 days of publication. Realize that that could take a long time. I just have a quick example if I can jump in on that. Sure. So if I, I also have worked with NASA and that is the contract they had with me. And I like I took it knowing like, oh, I don't know when this is going to get done. But it like it, it was earlier in my career and it was a nice little feather in my cap at the time. Yeah. And I wrote something for them in 2014 that has not yet been published. Yes, that can happen. And I think we had a similar experience because those were the folks that paid on publication. Now, mind you, they always did pay me. 
Uh, mm-hmm. I did end up getting paid eventually, but sometimes there was a rather long wait. And I wasn't really in a position to rock the boat too much regarding it. And I just sort of patiently waited, and they eventually did pay me. Occasionally, I had to pick up the phone and say, uh, guys, uh, am I going to see some money for this eventually? And they were always good about it. So uh, that does happen. Uh, pay on publication, I can see that happening with a smaller company, for example, or one that without as much resources. It's something to keep in mind. It isn't necessarily in and of itself a bad thing, but it is something to be be aware of is i guess i would say i've actually had that happen to me mm-hmm. um if you don't want me cutting in oh um, we talked about earlier about how there were some companies where like um you need to make sure your contract states when you're going to get paid this was early on in my career and i want to say this was around 2009 mm-hmm. um i was excited i was working on this project i'm not going to name specifics but it was um, a sequel to a um, a classic 80s role-playing game. Um, and myself and a couple other people, we were working on it, and we were super excited. And we altered in our work, and we didn't hear anything for six months. And we had like an, um, an old-fashioned uh, Yahoo thread that we were working off of. And we were all like, hey, is, are they ever going to pay us? What's going on? And then when somebody apparently finally got one of the representatives of the company to talk to us, the representative summarily fired us all at once, which was shocking um they claim that none of our work was up to snuff but and but the thing is they later went on to use our work in their finished product yep um no and this was this was early enough um in our careers that we were like wait we've got contracts but the we didn't realize that there was a clause in the contract which the way it was worded was essentially three months after work is submitted we will decide if we um if and how much payment is going to be given to to the the writers and apparently they decided nothing uh because they decided that they could fire us and we had we had no recourse we couldn't get any money out of it 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 was a learning experience um and the thing is they took our work they didn't edit it (laughs) when they put it in the final draft so there were there were small little grammatical errors, and um, I'm not saying what the book was, but it did flop. But it was still very shocking because at that point it's like, but I have a contract. Uh, but from that point forward, it was like, oh, did did I read the contract? Did I understand the contract? Um, the answer is, I think I skimmed it. Bad on me. And two, I don't think I understood the parts I read, um, which I probably should have asked more questions. So to people who are hearing this. Don't feel bad about asking more questions. Um, the worst thing that you're going to get out of it is um, if somebody says something that sets you off, then you can just be like, oh, then I don't want to work for you after all. But 99% of the time, they're going to be like, oh, no, this means this. Is that okay with you? And then because most people who issue out contracts know how serious they are, and they want you to understand it as much as they understand it. Yes, I would. I would emphasize that the vast majority of people you're going to be working for are honest and are going to honor the contract and are good people to work for. Uh, The horror stories are about a small group of people, I would say. And this is, I guess, the reason why, uh, like we were talking about, ask questions, make sure you understand everything. I have failed to do that, too, like everybody else. And recently, if I may, I wanted to correct a little sort of bit of misinformation that I've seen going around. And recently, when there have been discussions online of uh, contractual disputes 
people not getting paid what they're owed, uh, people being late, uh, contracts not necessarily being up to snuff, etc. I see a lot of people online saying, well, you should just take them to court. And yeah. this is absurd. I mean, the amount of money that you're dealing with is usually so small that taking someone to court is absolutely impractical financially. And usually you have to do it in the state of the the state that the uh, your contract uh, writer resides. So if I sign a contract with someone in, you know, Saskatchewan, no, not Saskatchewan, that's Canada, but I mean in like Kansas or someplace, then I have a dispute. I would have to go to Kansas to enforce this contract. By the time I get there, I'm not going to do this over one or two thousand dollars or even ten thousand dollars. It's not worth it. So I, I get kind of frustrated when I see people going, well, you have legal uh, uh, you have legal options that you can follow. You just sue them. And it's not that simple. So that's that's something I want to want to get out to people and, and make people understand. One hundred percent. I mean, that's, I think, one of the clauses that a lot of people, especially in our industry, don't always look at is there's usually a jurisdiction clause, especially if they're like a company like Modiphius or Wizards of the Coast. They're going to have a clause in there that says, here's the jurisdiction. If you're going to sue, this is where you have to do it. Hammer on the head of the nail, right? Like, you know. If, if I want to sue Modiphius, which I have no reason to, but like I have to file in the UK and that means that either I have to fly there or whatever. And, you know, a lawyer said to me once of, of you know, you'll spend $15,000 to get five and that just doesn't make sense. So it can be pretty disheartening when you're like, oh, if I have to actually enforce this, you might be out a lot of money, especially if you're dealing with an American company um, in Canada and I think in the UK. If you were to sue and you were to win as a freelancer, usually you get what's called costs. Um, if I remember correctly, it's a, you, auto, like, you are presumed to get costs in Canada, which is basically the, the other side pays your lawyer because our judicial system says, hey, you shouldn't have come here in the first place. But that doesn't mean you're not out the money in the meantime. And I, I think at least at least a half of the major RPG companies are out of the States or are doing American jurisdiction. The other thing too is that lawsuits take a while. Um, people like to imagine that lawsuits like that they're very quick. Like I had to sue a hospital once over a billing dispute um, and I won, but it took three years. And that was over something that was very urgent and it affected my, my health and my credit. And, and with all due respect to our industry, I mean, we all love it because um, we've all built our careers in it. It's, it would be hard to tell a court, to especially a small claims court, to be like, yeah, can we hurry up? Can we do this next month? Because more often than not, they'll be like, okay, we have a whole docket. Uh, we will review the materials. You'll hear back eventually. And I, I hope nobody gets the, the, the feeling that we're all saying if you get you know, screwed over by a contract... Um, that you know it, it's done for you that there's nothing you can do there are things you can do um usually arbitration but um i i, I agree with the whole like you know saying that you could just sue them it's not always the most practical option depending on where you are there might be other options as well so especially if you're in a position where you have a contract that you're starting to get worried about or if it's like something you are just you're a little bit wary about it's worth doing a little bit of, of google foo um 
I have had to sue a former client and I was able to, because we were both in Canada, I was able to circumvent the legal system and just go through our, uh, our government ministry of labor. And, and they just did it all for me, which is if you have options like that, it's phenomenal. Um, it's also worth considering stuff of like talking to places like drive through RPG. If you're in an instance where, for example, your work got published without your pay, technically you can file a DMCA on that because if you have been paid, you could argue your contract isn't complete. So you still own all that. Yeah. Well, um, it, that actually relates to something that I, I wanted to cover later. And I don't know if we're getting to that point, but about what is what is considered accepted by the publisher and not accepted by the publisher. Now, um, for me, and I did speak to a lawyer about it because this was when I was in my 20s and I was all hopping mad. Um, and the first thing that I got told by the attorney was, you know, uh, this is a really poorly written contract. You signed this? And I'm like, ooh, uh, yeah, I'm 20. Uh I haven't really signed that. You're many... not a contract lawyer. Yeah, it's like a, I think I was really talking to a contract lawyer. And it's like, yeah, I'm 20 years old. I've signed like four contracts in my life. It was just one of those things where you, you don't really expect it to happen. And I, to be honest, when I look back at it, I was out maybe three or $400, which to a college student, huge. But it was just one of those things where it never occurred to me to have a stipulation in my contract that said, um, by the way, if you've accepted these words, if they've been formally turned in, you know, that counts as me turning in the work now. And if you fire me, well, then there needs to be a next step for what happens after I'm fired. Um, it just never occurred to me. And they argued that because they had let us all go, they owed none of us any money. And um, which super shady. And it was just one of those things where there's no protections in my contract against that. And because one, it's not a scenario you expect, but two, like, like I've been let go from projects before, um, always amicably. Um, but there have been times when it's like, hey, we've changed up the project. Don't need your work anymore. Super sorry. Um, per your contract, we're going to pay you this amount for for your work, for your time. And there have also just been projects where the projects failed. Um, yeah. In our industry, it happens a lot. Um, you can walk in with the best intentions on any project um, as a publisher, as an indie game designer. And sometimes it, it fails. Um, and uh, boy, howdy, have I had some some failures on my record, too. Um, like, just Kickstarters don't fund, or um, uh, if, you do, if you're doing it all on your own, and then it's like, hey, I just realized that I have a surgery coming up. I don't have the money to see this project all the way through to completion. And that's why contracts are important, because then it lets you know what the next step is. And sometimes it's a very financially painful step, because there's nothing worse than saying, well, Crystal, I'm sorry, uh, the project's not going to happen, and now I have to pay you $400 because that's what your contract states. But at the same time, that's the due and proper thing to do because then Crystal would be owed that money. It was for her time, which I never got to use. And it always sucks telling somebody that, like, hey, the project failed. You're not getting any money out of this. But at least the contract lets you know, oh, this is what I do next. This is how I help. This is what this is the path out of the situation. I would... Uh add to that that I think the the best way to avoid legal entanglements and problems like that is of course not to sign a bad contract or with a bad actor to begin with and uh, short of being psychic the best thing I would say to do is to cultivate uh, a uh, friendships and community with your fellow freelancers and your fellow industry workers and check with them is company XYZ worth working for uh is this individual trustworthy etc 
get that from the other people. I was uh, advised against signing a contract with uh, a company by a friend of mine uh, some time ago. I went ahead and signed it anyway with my eyes open, and I was very careful, and it worked out fine. But he did give me some, you know, valuable information to keep in mind. And I think, uh, you know, having friends, associates, and uh, other freelancers that you can rely on uh, will help avoid signing those contracts in the first place. And if you're like me and have social anxiety and or uh, have difficulty making friends with people or you're new in the industry, because that's like it's hard to be like, talk to other freelancers when you're new in the industry and you're like, it's my second contract. Um, a couple of like good rules of thumb are I have a general rule of if I don't know who I'm dealing with, like if I don't have a reference from someone that I trust or it's not like if it's Modifius or Wizards of the Coast or someone who's who's big. You know, they're established enough that they are, they're more of a known quantity and them sending you a contract, that's, you know, it, it's a big deal for you maybe, but for them, it's, that's Tuesday, that's contract day where they send out three dozen. Um, but my general rule is always ask at least two questions just to see how they respond. Um, a friend of mine, um, he actually, apparently he printed it off and he framed it, but somebody sent him a contract and they both signed it and they didn't realize it. And he actually got paid um, like 10 times the, or it said in the contract he was due to be paid 10 times what the, the actual original agreed upon amount was because somebody accidentally hit a zero after um, um, one of the numbers. And he was like, oh, man, I could take advantage of this. Nah, better tell them. <laughs> it's, it's also worth noting that, um, you know, uh, you can put addendums to contracts after they're signed as long as both parties agree. Most contracts are going to have a clause on what is required to change it. And usually... Usually most most places now will accept an email of like, ah, it's an email we both agree of like, oh, well, you know, oh, we need another 5,000 words. Is that fine? Usually you don't need to renegotiate a full contract. You go, oh, just add 5,000 words to that contract. Yeah, I've done that. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of times, especially some of the work I've done, um, especially with Modifius, where occasionally it's like, crap, we forgot a thousand words on safety rules for this setting or um hey we want to um extend this part of the adventure we're going to extend it by two thousand words um and then most of the time if you've worked with them a lot they'll just you'd be like okay cool it's part of my contract so i'm just going to add this on here and that's why contracts are important when it comes time for invoice season which uh it's not actually a season but it's pretty much whenever like you get that good news saying hey send us your invoice form and we'll pay you um, that's where contracts help out a lot because sometimes my memory sucks and I work for a lot of companies and I try to be like, oh, if they're paying me six cents a word and they're paying me eight cents a word, crap, what, who's paying me what now? I have a, a story of kind of tying into this about who exactly is interpreting those contracts. And this is where I kind of got caught up, um, and it is very public. It is something that I did talk about. And that is because, again, with the legal thing, there really is not a lot of legal stuff that you can do. But there are things where if the contract allows you to, you can absolutely talk about. Um, and this is something that I feel we that as an industry, we do need to talk a little bit more about. But I signed a contract for a first project. The The individual involved paid me on time, um, paid me the, what I was owed. Um, there were no issues at all with the contract. Now, second project rolls around and 
same person is in charge, but it's th for someone else's baby, okay? And that person is then interpreting the contract. And they interpret it far differently than what was originally interpret what was originally happening with the other contract. So uh, I, I guess like interpretations and stuff like that are very are, can be very a very gray area. Is there anything that you would recommend you add wording to or ask for clarification or like what would be your advice for? handling that type of situation because that definitely threw me for a loop like i didn't know what to do at that point i i mean my kind of gut on that is if 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 interpretation of a contract didn't have gray areas we wouldn't have contract lawyers it's an industry that exists because it's really hard to be specific and interpret the same and that's that that is absolutely fair i am that's why i'm not a contract lawyer <laughs> it also seems to me that that would require a certain level of psychic ability to be able to determine what parts could be uh, uh, variously interpreted. And that's a little hard to do in the sense of, I feel like if I look through it and go, okay, can I get clarification on this? Can we change this, etc.? Then that that makes me happy but then along comes someone else like you were saying comes along and says oh i i think this means something different than we originally discussed it's there in black and white it's in the contract and it's it's hard to tell what aspects of a contract are going to cause that kind of uh that kind of a discussion so i don't know if you even i don't know what i can say about that i would only say look through it and make sure that you understand everything. And if there is anything that seems great to you, you can discuss it with the uh, uh, whoever you're signing the contract with. But that alone, as as noted, as previously noted, doesn't protect you from something like that happening down the line. And um, you know, it's it's kind of hard to say. And I, I hate quoting Donald Rumsfeld, but there are unknown unknowns, right? I, ju I just watched the documentary the, this week. Oh, but, yeah. You know, uh, one of the things that I think is really helpful is uh, if you're, if you're, and this is, like, I'm a Canuck. Like, I'm up in Canada, and there's a different culture between us and America. And it's, one of the things is to make sure you're you're trying to think like the culture of the other person. And what their presumptions are and what and how those would be different than yours uh you know i, I like you said working modifius i think that a lot of people there are really good at, at proofing their contracts for that and having their contracts are, are very like you know they're gonna work in any country that follows the british tradition but you know i i've signed a french contract before and those are a very different beast because it's an entirely different legal system. Yeah, I've seen contracts from France, Italy, I believe Indonesia at one time. So yes, it, it varies greatly. Other things to talk about, um, and we haven't, we've touched upon a whole bunch of different ones, but what about non-competes? So uh, um, for instance, um, at one point, there was a company that I had looked into working for 
And I, they were, they told me that their contract states that while I'm working on their project, I cannot have any other work from any other freelancing gig. And that's not exactly what and I, I didn't accept that, that because um, uh, I'm going to work right for whoever I want. And um, because that's, that's freelancing, that that's how I make my money. And so there are a bunch of different non-competes. There are some some that are kind of questionable. Um, but like, how how do you view those? If you see those in a contract, what do you think about them? Um, do you agree with them? I've only encountered a non-compete in my line of work once, um, which is a shame because it was a company I really wanted to work for. Um, but I, they pretty much wanted me to give up working on other projects. Um, and I was working on Star Trek and I love working on Star Trek. Um, it's, it's a childhood dream come true to be able to talk, to write about gaming and write about Mr. Spock. So, you know, I'm pretty easy to please at the end of the day, but I see why non-competes exist because in college we talked about them a lot. They're to make sure that like your ideas don't accidentally get passed on to someone else's project. And it's to make sure that the people are working for you specifically, especially if like the pay justifies you only working for them. I say, I see the argument. I don't necessarily agree with it. For me, it's like, if you're going to be ask me to give up all my other projects, you better be paying me a premium for saying no to other gigs. Cause I might be working on three or four things at any given time. And I know that payment can come much later, um, like six months from when the, those things are done. But if you're going to ask for all of my time focused on this, then I'm not saying that I'm motivated by money, but I do like to eat. I like to have a roof over my head and I like to buy toys for my dog. So that's pretty much what I need. Yeah, there you go. I too had one person ask me to do that. I refused. Because when he asked me, I was in the middle of a contract for someone else. So it was really not practical to do it. Uh, I would agree that if, I guess, if they're going to pay me a living wage for the period of time that I'm working on it, then I would consider it. Otherwise, I think that's kind of a deal breaker for me. I mean, I got spoiled by being in Canada and... They're not officially illegal in Canada, but I don't think the, our courts have ever, I don't know if they've ever agreed to one. <sighs> yeah, well done. I, I've, I've, signed a, I've signed a contract with another Canadian, actually, that had a non-compete clause that was incredibly narrow. And I knew it wasn't going to be a problem, and I was happy just to give it to them. But that's the only way I'd do it is if it was very narrow. So, for example, this one was, I agreed not to publish anything that was a TTRPG that was within a certain very narrow subset. So it was like, that wouldn't have to do with, uh, it was a historical one, so it wouldn't have to do with anything between like a 200-year period from a certain geography within three months of the product and i was like i'll sign that that's fine like nothing else is going to come out in that period of time but it's also like it wasn't enforceable okay and then as we were talking it popped into my head too and because i know several of us are on a couple of these but ndas or non-disclosure agreements what are your thoughts on those um what like wording do you watch for that might be a red flag um, obviously, this is very much a thing within the industry because of 
IP, um, certain IPs or certain projects not wanting to get leaked or anything like that. So what are your thoughts on those? Those seem like uh, reasonable, especially uh, if it's with a major IP. For example, if someone gets uh, the role-playing rights to a, a major movie or TV series or something like that, those are always very important. And um, I don't have a big problem with them because, you know, usually it's uh, it's to protect the protect the license and protect the company. It doesn't it doesn't particularly bother me because once it comes out, everybody knows anyway. So it, it it's really usually for only a specified period of time while I'm working, and um, I, I I see the I see the reasoning behind it. I've I've had several, and they don't usually bother me. I think they're overhyped. Um, I think that it's worth noting that. I think they're overhyped. I think a lot of people care about them a lot, and I'm willing to do them, but I also think a lot of them are not worth the paper they're written on. Which is not to say don't sign them, because of course, uh, the, the the things I think to look out are what is covered and what the expectations of what you're going to do is. I've seen NDAs that were like, basically the NDA was structured such that you wouldn't be allowed to talk about or disparage the company. It wasn't meant to protect IP. It was it was set up to you wow. could not talk about any work you did for the company. You couldn't talk like I talked to a lawyer and the lawyer was like, I mean, this is not enforceable because literally the act of showing a lawyer the NDA to get a lawyer's input violated the NDA. Yeah, that's the thing about contracts is that they've got to be something that is within a reasonable standard, like just with, like, with that NDA. If it's like, oh, you can't even acknowledge that this even exists in any form. It's like, um. But how do we talk about it, like with each other? Um, I like for me, NDAs are nice. Um, most of the ones I've ever signed are common sense. At Modifius, it's usually spelled out pretty clearly in the contract. But the NDA that we sign is usually also like, "Hey, if you're working on a project, I know you really want to talk about it. I know it's sometimes you're working on exciting stuff. Please don't like post a blog thing about it. You could be cheeky with some of your tweets, but don't be don't give away the whole thing." And then usually if you do accidentally overstep, because sometimes things, you know, it happens. Um, you pull a Tom Holland. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's just kind of like um, um, someone literally like asked the other day, it's like, when are you guys going to release a book on ships for Star Trek? And uh, one of the writers was sort of like, oh, I don't know, that's a really good idea. Maybe we'll do it. And then a bunch of Maybe people go, is. oh, you're releasing a book on ships for Star Trek? And it's like, oh, um, um no but in two weeks check your previews um <laughs> uh, it, yeah i'll uh i i will go back on what i said if it's a really dumb nda i don't like it uh non-disparagement boy i wouldn't uh i wouldn't go for that at all uh i'm thinking in terms of like you said sensible ones that say don't talk about this while you're working on it or until it's published or something like that uh, I have no problem with that, but and 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 agreed that it probably really is not as they're not as big a deal as as some people make it out. I would agree with that, but in general, I don't. It doesn't really bother me. But if it's, I haven't been offered a dumb one. So if I was offered a dumb one, I would probably have some words about it. But yeah, in general, they're pretty standard. Yeah, like like you said before. Usually, usually if you're getting one. Most of the time, it's going to be because you're working for a company that has an IP, and it's to make the IP holder happy. I, I think the dumbest clauses in an NDA to look for are stuff of like, 
what you what the expectations are of of what you're going to do with any materials you have um because i've seen stuff of like you're expected to destroy all the materials you have that is at all related to this upon completion of the contract and it's like so i can't have anything in the portfolio i can't have any of my notes and like i'm not destroying my laptop yeah in theory they can sue me if i left a random doc in my google drive and forgot about it I was imagining like someone showing up at like Crystal Store late at night and be like, "Your laptop, give it to me now." Uh. We're just checking. I was just say the other thing to look for, and and this is more of making sure you're not going to get in trouble. Is are they expecting stuff like um, business processes and things to be covered? Uh, because what that means can be a tricky wicket to get around, right? Of like you know, if if you see a way they structure their writer's room does that mean you can't learn that process or you can't adapt that process and i've seen companies and usually these are are newer smaller companies that take that are not i mean it's the same kind of people who give you the really nasty contracts who are like this is our secret sauce and you can't even talk about it that's it's weird um i think the uh the the individual that uh wanted me to sign an nda uh or a non-compete rather I think he had worked for a larger company that was really big on that, on uh, non-compete clauses and stuff like that, and he wanted to be just like that company that he'd worked for. So since they had a non-compete clause, I've got to have one too. So, you know, I, 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 I thought that was kind of a silly reason to do it, but I don't know. Human egos. Yeah, yeah well, in this case, definitely. <laughs> yeah i had a feeling yeah 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 and uh i'm glad that i have also not run into anybody who wants me to destroy the materials i worked on because like um another thing is that uh people will ask for samples of what you've written and they'll ask for stuff and if it's something you're particularly proud of when I worked on Song of Ice and Fire for Green Ronin, that was one of the things I sent to people as a sample because it was something I was really proud of. And uh, it, it, I think it's important to have access to your own work and be able to do that. So, yeah, yeah I, I agree on that. That's really important for artists. Um, oh, definitely. I know we're talking about like game designers here, but like artists in our industry, like having the ability to show off what you've drawn is essential to them because i can talk about the words and the prose and the books that i've written um but sometimes like art inspires art can be really great like um on i still think about like amazing pieces of artwork in books um like the first edition of c books recently and if i was an artist and my livelihood was based around people seeing my art and being like yes i must commission them to draw for warning though i am a terrible artist never hire me to draw anything um but it, if you deny artists that, like, what can what what can they show? How can they go on to the next project and be like, yeah, I worked on this really cool book. You'll never know though unless you buy that specific book, and mm. that's a really weird way to for you to see my art. Yeah, I, I think that also leads into a good question about what rights are you signing away in your contract. Oh, um, I, I think the vast majority of like uh, uh, freelancing gigs are going to be work for hire. Yeah, that is something that, that if you're just getting started, that's something you need to understand. Is once you've written it and you've sent it and they've paid you, they own it. If it's work for hire. 
If it's work for hire, yes, exactly. If it's if it's something, you know, there's a, a variety of other things, but everything I've done has been work for hire, and they own it. It's theirs. They can do whatever they want with it. And uh, I've had a couple things I've been paid for and never got published, for example. And that is what they can do. That is what work for hire is. I had to explain that in 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 painful detail to a young man on on Twitter once, uh, explaining what. Uh, work for hire was, and the fact was that once I sold it, it was no longer mine. And that's just something you got to accept. There is also, and you don't get it as much, I've gotten it a couple times, but there's limited licenses, which is it's not work for hire, you're selling them your work for a period of time, or for a limited deal. Um, I have a book I'm working on right now that I didn't ask for it, but the company is going to pay me, and they've only asked for the license for it for a specific system. And oh, they said, great. like, if you want to adapt it to another system, cool. you know. Oh, that's interesting. That's nuts. Cool. That's cool. Uh, okay. and, and part of it was they said, you know, um, if we adapt this to future editions of the same system, we want to update it. There was a clause in the contract for that of basically they get right of first refusal on all future editions of the underlying system it'd be for. Um, and I think that especially clever small companies and mid-sized companies are, are starting to be more creative with that. Yep, and we're, we're gonna talk about that. And um, just a note for the artists too, I do wanna do an artist series on this for after the writing. I am not an artist though. Um, so I am trying to find someone that would be willing to, to co-host with me, um, so that we can get guests on and stuff to talk about almost the same things. Um, but I am not the right person to host that because I am not an artist. Um, my stick figures are laughable. <laughs> You're just gonna leave it. There's a reason I'm a writer and I'm a musician. They're not as laughable as mine. <laughs> we should just all collaborate now and make a game that's all about drawing just horrible stick figure art and stick figure the rpg that's a good idea <laughs> have... uh, oh, that's actually a really good idea <laughs> yeah have any of you ever been asked to sign away your moral rights you mean like um hey we do really crappy things as a company up here's an update to your contract that you can't talk about that crappy thing no uh moral rights are not talked about a lot, but it's literally the right to put your name on a thing or to say you did it. Um, nope. There's also some other derpy rules with moral rights. Um, you know, technically, and again, this is, is it worth the paper? Is it worth fighting? But like, technically, if you wrote something, even if it's work for hire, there's a limit to what they can do to change your work. Um, you know, to, they cannot put a bunch of sexual assault in there. Mm. when it has nothing to do with that and get past you without like you have certain rights still even though under work for hire and moral rights is you've signed everything away oh um moral rights are that. and i've worked in this industry for a really long time i learned something today yeah um, me too wow I, see and i always i always thought of that as like shadow writing like I, I i refuse to do any sort of like shadow writing or anything like that because it, it's my labor, I should be able to have my name on it. So actually, yeah. like ghostwriting? Yeah, ghostwriting. That still isn't full moral rights. 
Because ghostwriting usually includes, like, you're allowed to say to potential clients, yeah, I actually wrote that. And you're, like, there's, there's certain filings with it. Um, but, like, a, the full moral right sign-away is you get nothing. It, it, it's gone. Oh. Um, yeah, no. If that's ever in a contract of mine, I will not sign that. Oh no, that's uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up the phone on that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I hate to say this, but I mean, the amount of money we make in freelancing is not spectacular, and at the very least, I want to have my name on there saying I made this. So. Yep. You know, not even if they would be paying me a spectacular amount. I don't think I would go for that. It's never been discussed, but who knows what the future holds. I, I, yeah, I had had one client float it, but there was a bunch of other red flags. I was just curious if anyone else had seen it, having been no. around the block more. No. no, that just seems bordering on unethical to me, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. I, I feel very similar to that. That's extremely unethical and something that I could never get behind. We kind of touched upon this too. And again, I'm going to reiterate that we can't, we are not lawyers. We cannot speak for you uh, as far as legal matters are concerned. Um, and, and we are not your lawyers, um, but we are talking specifically about contracts that we have experience with or have seen. Um, and so we have a couple more points. I wanted to talk a little bit about the legal and uh, uh, legal enforcement of these because, you know, we we have touched upon like NDAs are really hard to 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 enforce. And it's almost kind of like a social agreement. And then like it's really hard to sue a company um, because we don't, both sides don't make a ton of money, right? Unless it's a huge company, it's going to be very hard to pay for a lawyer for, for small minor contract disputes. Is there any legal enforcement of this or is there any other sort of social enforcement? Because I have, I have my thoughts on this, but I want to hear you guys first. I think uh, what I've seen is that there is some advantage right now living in the era that we're in compared to when I started this. We do have social media, which is a double-edged sword, as we all know, but bad behavior can and has been called out uh, by people who don't necessarily have the uh, resources to take legal action. Now, uh, I'm not sure... I think the wisdom of doing that uh, depends, and I think it's up to the individual how much they want to do. But that is one option, is is to discuss it and talk about uh, uh, bad experiences you had. That could open you up to other legal problems, however. So, again, not a lawyer, but this is just uh, an observation I've made, that bad bad conduct has been being made public more than it has in the past. And whether that's going to benefit everybody in the long run remains to be seen. But that is something I've observed. Kind of hard to predict, like, like what you can do about bad conduct. Like, like, up, like whenever something happens like that, you always try to imagine a scenario where you win. 
And too often, you know, there are scenarios where you just lose, which is awful. But I think there are some people out there where they, like, there's, they're kind of, I discussed it earlier, where contracts are meant to provide, like, you know, the framework for, hey, there might be something wrong. What's the next step? Um, and there's some people who they want to rush the process or they get dissatisfied with it. And they turn to, you know, the court of public opinion. They they ramp up their socials. They they go on that's like they they tweet every five minutes for three days. Um, and sometimes that works. Sometimes that does correct the situation. Um, it's also incredibly risky. It, it's risky just because it could backfire, obviously, and yeah, make you look bad. Um, and also because like also it, it shows potential like publishers that it's like hey if we ever have a dispute this might be how you act. On the other hand, though, it can be effective, though, in pointing out, as we mentioned, like bad actors, um, it can be useful in pointing out, hey, this company's got a really crummy hiring process or a really crummy um, paying process. Um, and also, it might also make the company just reconsider and be like, okay, we did, we were in the wrong. We're never going to work with you again, but we were in the wrong. Here's our restitution. Um, but it's really hard to predict how that's going to play out. It can also really easily lead to mudslinging, um, especially if... You know, the, the the more freelancers who, like, perversely, the more freelancers who get screwed over, kind of the better of a chance you have because, you know, there's 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 um security in numbers, right? Of, yes, of, there is security in numbers. If six people say the same thing happened, it, it's more plausible. But um, uh, uh, me and two two other freelancers ages ago had a, had a really bad falling out that was not similar to the one we all saw a little while ago um mm -hmm. and we got nothing and like we tried to go on social like we did a little thing on social media and it just it very quickly threatened to just become gross mudslinging and it just wasn't worth it um that was that the the whole like having companies see us as troublemakers or as people who are difficult to work with that is something that for for the freelancers that came forward for everything that had happened to us specifically, and I'm going to say it's with Apotheosis Studios, uh, we were extremely factual with everything that happened. And we tried to stick very much to our own, our experiences and supporting those that came forward if we had similar. I, and I talked a little bit about this in both of the previous episodes of when you are working with a group of people, make sure that you're communicating and building a safety net with the freelancers because it, it can actually help you guys in the long run clear up things because you might be able to ask questions of other freelancers that you might be nervous about asking somebody else. Um, or you you may all have the same question or have or having the same experience. And you guys are, are going to be able to talk about that and come up with a solution. I do want people to talk more about it, but I also want everybody to know that it shouldn't turn to mudslinging. Like it shouldn't, it should very much be, if you're going to be sharing something, make sure it stays factual. Make sure it stays to your experiences or supporting each other in those experiences. Because I mean, it, this will <laughs> everything that I've done is probably going to come and bite me in the butt, and that's okay. Um, but I, I do feel it was very important for us to to have that conversation, and it is the driving factor for me doing this so that I can bring other voices on as well. So, 
Well, let me say that I think that the information that was brought out in that situation was really critical, really important. And I think what you guys did was really significant and important. And I think that's one of the things that sort of uh, made me want to start talking about contracts and start talking about uh, what rights freelancers have and uh, start standing up for ourselves and say, you know, here, uh, you know, we're we're here and we are entitled to uh, a certain level of, of respect and good treatment. And I would say also that I have always gotten respect and good treatment out of the people I've worked with. But when I see things like that happening, I really, uh, really support the people who are talking about it, A, and B, I really am glad to see those things being brought out and those that information being brought before the general public and the people who aren't aware of how these things work. And so, uh, you know, well done as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I will say that, like, that was very literally an isolated incident. I have every other company that I've ever worked with, even if it didn't end in amicable terms, it was always very, very cordial and professional. Um, and so I've, I returned to many, many companies that I have written for um, because they are fantastic to work for. Um, and I've had fantastic experiences. One experience isn't going to sour the entirety of the industry for me or hopefully for anybody else. So, no, I, I agree. Um, so we'll move on to one of our last points then, which um, kind of was brought up by uh, by Tyler. They um, mentioned some of the cool things that was added to contracts. And one of the things that was added to the contracts for um, uh, with Rakhines was that all writers on the book can purchase the books at cost to, to sell on their own. So if I were to be going to a convention, I can purchase books at cost and sell them at the MSRP level um, to be able to make some profit and to get my name out there and to get my books in the hands of people directly from me so I can sign them or whatever the case may be. Um, so I just wanted to see if you guys had any other cool things added that, pe that maybe freelancers can negotiate in or ask about or maybe companies that are listening to this might consider adding into their contracts in the future um but i gotta say one of the things i do it for is free books um some of them uh some companies are very good if you say by the way i'm working on this product and it refers to this other product and i have a copy of that and they will do that and, uh, you know, that is a perk that I really appreciate. And also, you get a certain number of author copies. That's great. And most of my contracts have let me make the purchases, like you said, at cost. So those are, you know, I mean, um, you know, a whole bunch of the books on my shelves were stuff that was just sent gratis uh, to help me working on other projects. Uh, that is a really great thing to have. And it you know, it isn't necessarily even in your contract, but if it is, you know, you can, uh, uh, something in the contract that says that you can request uh, product, other products that are related to your product, um, that would be a really great thing to have. Usually they're just, you just ask and they send it, but uh, it might be an interesting clause for people to include in future. 
I've been really pushing lately, um, and this is more for projects where you're like a lead writer, or it's a project where it's less of the, you know, I'm writing the weather section in the Conan book. It's, it's you know, you're, you're a core part of the process. I've been fighting a lot for royalties and or retaining other rights. Uh-huh. Um, uh, uh, one that I sent to a publisher, uh, uh, we negotiated a thing and they were really keen of, that they liked the, the property and we had to have a discussion about stuff of like comic and television rights. And that was weird. And, and oh, nice. when you are sending that kind of project where it's, it's, you're, you're doing more than just the freelance. I'm just, I'm just writing this section. I'm filling my word count. Um, stuff like that is worth considering. And um, if you approach it the right way, I think a lot of companies would be pretty gung ho. You know, if, if you were, oh, I'm going to write a, a, a adventure or whatever for Chaosium. Uh, uh, it's someone who has the who has the license more, right? And it'd be like, yeah, I will also want to do a comic that, you know, I have an artist who's going to work with me and we're just going to do this comic as well. Can we just get it under the license? You can negotiate that kind of thing. I've also worked for companies that have done that kind of thing of, of they got whatever anime license and they were like, we're also going to do a board game and, and an RPG and whatever, because licensing an IP can be what makes sure you get paid next year instead of just this year. Right. Um, I would say that's the, the fiction model where you get an advance and then you get royalties from that point forward. Usually I would say the advance is smaller than you would get if it was work for hire. But on the other hand, the royalties are going to come in and you might see uh, a check every every quarter or something like that. That is kind of nice when that does happen. That hasn't I haven't experienced that very often, but it is very interesting and very cool. And I would love to see that more in the industry. I would love to see more of a royalty uh, model uh, than just simply work for hire, which is what almost everyone does. So, you know, times may be changing. I would love to see that. And it's, it's, especially if you're working with like a smaller or newer company where a lot of the time they're going to say something like, you'll have a thing in your closet, we'll pay you pending a Kickstarter or whatever. So if you're worried about that money or they're worried about their budget, um, drive through RPG automatically can be set up to automatically carve your royalties off. And, you know, it, in a bad month, I can pay my cell phone bill and a couple other things with royalties and have yeah. been for years mm-hmm. now. I pay for other game books with my royalties for drive through <laughs> I do the same thing. My royalties fund my PDF habit. All right. Were there any other other interesting things in contracts to look out for or negotiate for? Covered so much. Uh... Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think one of the things I just want to hammer home, because I feel like we, we did talk about it, but we didn't like explicitly signpost it, is... Yeah pay attention to who the contract is specifically with. Is it with a company or is it with a person? Oh, that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> I, I have a friend who lost a lot of money um, with some, again, Hollywood accounting shenanigans where they signed a deal with a company and then the company just declared bankruptcy. Oh, no. The CEO of the company bought it all at, like, bought all of the stuff from the company at fire sale prices. And then, like, you, like, and then that money went back to that CEO because the company owed them a ton of debt. 
should be illegal. I, it, it should be. Yeah. And the thing is, sometimes it's like, yeah, if you could afford to take that person to court and and prove that this was sketchily done, yeah. But again, you got to be able to take them to court. You got to be able to prove it. I guess my uh, I guess my only closing thing to be more philosophical is you know don't be afraid of contracts and don't be nervous about them, but use some common sense. And I really want you in the industry. You know, I really want you to. To, to, to work in this industry and work with us. And I would really love to see more people, uh, more different people, you know, diverse people involved in this industry because it's such a big one and it's so fun. I would love to have you join us. So don't let contracts intimidate you. Oh, second it. I, mm. I give the horror stories because I want people to be forewar- forewarned and forearmed because I, I, I think as the industry is growing, we are attracting more bad actors. But yeah. that happens with any industry as we start to get more money. And yep, yeah. I yeah. I selfishly want more people to make more games so that I have more great games to read. Uh, just so I have that putting that out there. I yeah. encourage people because our industry does need to, like it needs more diversity and all that. But also, if I get some cool games out of it, that's awesome as well. That too. Um, uh, yep. I think the only other thing I really want to talk about is that make sure if something's not clear to you, ask questions. Like I know we're all worried about being embarrassed. I know we're all worried about. What if I say the wrong thing? The the contract stage is usually the best stage to ask these questions before you fear people fear signing the rights away. This is the best stage to be like, hey, I don't understand this. How does the company process royalties? Or um, when do I get paid? Like, never be afraid to ask that. Um, if somebody is a line developer, that is the question that they will answer the most from anything. Um, and patience is always helpful in this. Um, it sucks when like payment doesn't come and um, I know I don't want to get anybody to get the impression that they need to just like, you know, sit and be quiet. Um, it's just hug your contracts, treat them right. They, they're there to protect you for publishers. If you're thinking you want to be a publisher in this industry, your contracts are going to be your shield, but they're also going to be like the, um, they're, they're going to be the olive branch that you extend to the people you're hiring. Um, and well, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And yeah, definitely tr- treat them super seriously. Um, I know I, I joked earlier about how, what, 19 years ago when I signed contracts and I'm not even reading them, I'm just going, okay, here's my signature. You're going to pay me money now. Um, it really is just one of those, like, if you sign the contract, you are now obligated to do the work and to deliver it by the times dictated by the contract. Um, you can get extensions. A lot of publishers love to grant extensions. Um, nobody likes rushed work. And sometimes the writers need all the help they can get. Writers go through rough times too. Um, but if you sign the contract, you have, you're committed. Um, and so essentially just like, you know, know what you're doing and don't blow it off. And, and I would say my, my biggest advice would be to, if you, if you don't feel comfortable asking questions to your dev, find somebody that you can ask questions to or somebody that will help support you into figuring out how to talk to that, that developer or the person that you are signing a contract with. Um, if the person that you are signing a contract with ever makes it feel like you are a burden for asking questions, I would suggest that you take a look and, and kind of feel out how you personally feel about it because um if if they're making you feel like a burden over contracts um that that makes me feel uneasy yeah make make sure that you are that everybody is comfortable 
with having those discussions, especially as you are in the process of signing a contract. Okay, uh, so we're going to move on to everybody propping their social media. Um, so let's start with, I'm just going to go down the list as to as well, everybody put their stuff in there. So Anthony, where can we find you on social media? Uh, just go to facebook.com uh, slash uh, Anthony Pryor author FB. That's my author page. Uh, sort of irregularly updated, but if you want to get a hold of me and you want to say hi, uh, please feel free to do so. All right. Uh, Kennedy? Hello. Uh, you could find me on Twitter at JKMyth. Um, uh, I've had that Twitter account since the dawn of Twitter. Um, you can also find me on Twitch. Um, I record routinely with Rook and Rasp, and I'm on uh, The Voyages Of, which is a Star Trek-themed uh, um, live play. And also, you can just find me pretty much anywhere on the webs. Um, I'm also on Facebook. I think I post some pretty good memes. So, I like your memes. <laughs> All right, and Tyler? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at Tyler underscore ROI, or I'm on Twitch every Tuesday at Table Quests. That's Table Quests. It's a plural quest um, where we're running Call of Cthulhu, and we have another campaign starting soon. Awesome. Um, and then you have possible resources? Yeah. Um, for negotiation and contract negotiation, just buy any contract or negotiation book. Usually they're going to be written by a terrifying business person. And I say that because a lot of the time business books and law books are kind of written as though morality and ethics are like a cute hobby, which is weird to read. But you know, they talk about contract negotiation. They also talk about important stuff. I don't have a really good one to look at. Just kind of grab one, and it, most of them are going to cover the same basic stuff. Um, also, we talked about finding groups and people to talk about contract problems, get information from. Uh, I'm a really big fan of the RPG Brain Trust on Facebook. It started same. by one of the first people who hired me, and she's been phenomenal. Uh, for over a decade of, of reading my words. And uh, also, Drive Through RPG has a Discord. Um, it does get a little bit heated from time to time. There's a lot of person, a lot of big personalities in there, but generally everyone's trying to be helpful and productive. Um, and I'm Crystal Mazer. You can find me on all social media for Body and Soul 152. Thank you for listening. Um, this is hosted by Darker Days Radio. You can find all of our social media for um, uh, any questions that you may have. You can email to darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Uh, you can ask it on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash darkerdaysradio. Uh, at Darker Days Radio on all other social media. And again, if you if you at us, if you have a question for this podcast, um, I will absolutely answer it on the podcast, but I can also answer it via whatever social media that you asked it on. Um, we are on Instagram, Tumblr, table on Tabletop, YouTube, Twitch, and we have our super fun Discord where I also have a channel for the Tabletop RPG Mentorship podcast series where you can also answer questions or ask questions and I will answer them as best as I can. Um, so I want to thank everyone so much for coming on and being a guest and giving us a whole bunch of really awesome information. Um, it's been fantastic talking with you all. And I will see everybody later. 
thank you all. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening.